You're listening to a sermon preached at Cross and Crown in Melbourne. We believe that God speaks through the Bible and he calls us to preach the word in season and out of season. We pray that as you listen, you'll be strengthened to know, love and live for Jesus. Here at Cross and Crown, we believe that the Bible is God's word to his people. And that means that when we read the Bible, we are hearing God speak. Today's Bible reading is from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 to 31. I'll be reading from the CSB version. Please follow along in your own Bibles, and the passage will also be displayed on the screens. Paul, called as an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will, and Sosthenes, our brother, to the church of God at Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, Call the saints, with all those in every place who call on the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God for you because of the grace of God given to you in Christ Jesus, that you were enriched in him in every way, in all speech and all knowledge. In this way, the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you so that you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. He will also strengthen you to the end, so that you will be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful. You were called by him into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Now I urge you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree in what you say, that there be no divisions among you, and that you be united with the same understanding and the same conviction. For it has been reported to me about you, my brothers and sisters, by members of Chloe's people, that there is rivalry among you. What I am saying is this. One of you says, I belong to Paul, or I belong to Apollos, or I belong to Cephas, or I belong to Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in Paul's name? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one can say you were baptized in my name. I did, in fact, baptize the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't recall if I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with eloquent wisdom, so that the cross of Christ will not be emptied of its effect. For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But it is the power of God to us who are being saved. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and I will set aside the intelligence of the intelligent. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the debater of this age? Hasn't God made the world's wisdom foolish? For since in God's wisdom, the world did not know God through wisdom, God was pleased to save those who believe through the foolishness of what is preached. For the Jews ask for signs, and the Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews, and foolishness to the Gentiles. Yet to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God, because God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom, and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. Brothers and sisters, consider your calling. Not many were wise from a human perspective, not many powerful, not many of noble birth. Instead, 
God has chosen what is foolish in the world to shame the wise, and God has chosen what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God has chosen what is insignificant and despised in the world, what is viewed as nothing, to bring to nothing what is viewed as something, so that no one may boast in his presence. It is from him that you are in Christ, who became wisdom from God for us, our righteousness, sanctification, and redemption, in order that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Thank you, Joanna. At one level, we've had the most important part. We've heard the reading of God's word. Uh, and what I do now is to uh, uh, teach God's word, but it's the reading of God's word, which is really important because that's just God speaking to us in his word. Uh, now, uh, today's uh, sermon is not an exposition of the word. It's a doctrinal sermon, which is the teaching of the word. It's still going to be the word of God, I trust. Uh, but I'm not going to go through a passage as such. I'm looking at the Bible as a whole to help us to understand uh, what God is saying to us. Now, I know we've prayed already, but I'm going to ask us to pray again about this. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you've not left us in ignorance and darkness, but given us the light of your word. And we pray now that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you would open our hearts so that we may understand your word, receive it, and that it may bring forth good fruit in our lives. For Christ, our Saviour's sake. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, the Bible sets impossible standards. I'm uh, speaking today about being a saint. You've always wanted to be a saint, haven't you? <laughs> there aren't many of them. There's, you know, Saint Bartholomew, perhaps, or there are Saint this, and the Catholic Church makes saints, of course. You've always wanted to be a saint. What a wonderful ambition. And today, I'm talking about being a saint. However, I'm going to start by mentioning the impossible standard. Then the key to doing the impossible, working with the impossible, doing the impossible. And a conclusion. Okay, here we go. The impossible standard. You see, if you want to be a saint, you've got to meet God's standards. In Leviticus chapter 19, verse 2, God tells his people, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Now, holiness implies, and God's holiness implies perfection. God has no sin. Not only that, God cannot sin. It's not possible that God could sin, otherwise he would no longer be God. And so God is challenging you here to be as holy as he is. Or, in the New Testament, the Lord Jesus says at the end of the, uh, of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, verse 48, You must therefore be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, you may think you've achieved perfection or something like that, which simply means you're not married yet, um, because uh, the person you're married to will certainly help you to see that you're not perfect. I know that. And the same thing would apply to us. If we were truly perfect, then it was not only that we do not, it is that we cannot sin, because a truly perfect person could not even contemplate such a thing. Now, if you have achieved that, you can go home now. 
that's okay. Uh, I haven't seen anyone leave the room, so I presume that we haven't achieved that. In fact, that you can see, as I can see, that this is an impossible standard. As Isaiah said, when he saw the king lifted up on high, holy, 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 the Lord God Almighty, and I am a man of unclean lips, and I live in the midst of a people of uncleanness. As soon as he saw the holiness of God, he became conscious of his own sin. And thus it is with us. To claim perfection would be really ridiculous. But that's the standard that you're meant to reach. And so I come to the key to doing the impossible. Holiness is the command. Be holy as I am holy. But holiness is also a gift. If you... Uh, look at that passage, and it's worth having open, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. If you look at the passage, it says something to our ears very surprising. If you look at the beginning of the passage, uh, in verse 2, uh, Paul says, to the church of God at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, sanctified is to do with holiness, who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, and then he says, called as saints. In other words, if you belong to the Lord Jesus, if you are truly a Christian, you are a saint. This whole business of some Christians being saints because of the quality of their lives is not biblical. Every Christian person who is a real Christian, the moment you become a Christian, with all the burdens that have been yours up till then and the sin you bring into the Christian life, nonetheless, you are a saint. Every person in this world, in this room, who has confessed the Lord Jesus Christ and turned to the Lord Jesus in repentance and faith is already a saint. Don't see too many of you smiling, but nonetheless, isn't that wonderful? You are a saint already. Holiness is a command. Holiness is a command. You are to live. You are to, to be holy. But it is also a gift. Now, the interconnectedness between these two things is the key. You can only be holy because you are holy. I know that sounds paradoxical, but you'll find it is the case. It is because the Lord Jesus has redeemed you by the power of his spirit, has transferred you from the kingdom of darkness into the king, his kingdom, into the kingdom of the beloved son through the forgiveness of sins and the washing away of sin that you are truly a saint. It is what God has done for you and God has done in you that means that you can truly be called a saint. You are already. Look, look at how Paul addresses it here. To the church of God at Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, made holy, declared holy in Christ Jesus. You are already holy. It's because you are holy that you can then become holy in the, t in the lifetime that God gives you until his son comes again or until you go to be with him. Sanctification, you see, sanctification or holiness, 
is a once-for-all gift, and it's also a worked-out obligation. You are to become who you are. The big step has already been taken. Now, work on it. You are to become who you are. I suppose if you, if you went to New Zealand, for example, and you migrated to New Zealand, a wonderful thought, a beautiful place for a visit. Um, but if you migrated there and they made you a citizen, that's fine. But then you'd have to learn the language, which is a bit different from English. Uh, you'd have to learn the language. You'd have to uh, learn what it is to be a citizen. You'd have to learn what the laws are. You'd have, to You'd have to become a citizen of New Zealand. You are a citizen. You become a citizen. But you are. You'll be treated as such. And then you become the citizen. It's like migrating to a new country, if you like. You are, but you will be, and you have to work on it to become so. Sanctification is a once-for-all gift. And it is worked out obligation until finally they come together in the new heavens and the new earth when you go to be with the Lord. The sanctification which is being given to you and the sanctification which you are working on come together and you are the person that God designed you to be. Indeed, I think it's true to say that in heaven you not only will not sin, you cannot sin. Isn't that one? That's liberating. You don't even have to worry about it because. It's no longer you. You cannot even sin as God cannot sin. So have a look at verse 30 in this passage. It is from him that you are in Christ Jesus who became our wisdom, uh, who became wisdom from God for us, our righteousness, our sanctification, our redemption. In Christ Jesus you are righteous, you are redeemed, you are sanctified. You have that. And yet, if we turn the page over to Paul writing to the Thessalonians, listen to what he says to them there about sanctification in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. He says, uh, additionally then, brothers and sisters, we ask and encourage you in the Lord Jesus that as you've received instruction from us on how you should live and please God as you're doing, to this even do this even more. For you know what commands we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is God's will, your sanctification. And then he begins to tell them what that looks like. Listen, that you keep away from all sexual immorality. That each of us knows how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not with lustful passions. And so he goes on to explain the working out of sanctification, which requires you to be godly in this life. Not to assume it, not to say, oh, I'm godly, now I'll do anything I like. No. You're godly, and therefore you'll do everything that Jesus likes. That is the working out of your sanctification in this life. Would not be possible unless God had already made you holy. You're working out that which is true of you already. So the next heading, working with the impossible. And I say this. First of all, the truth about you, you are not naturally holy. You may not know that, but uh, as I say, others will have observed it. Uh, you are not naturally holy. You do wrong. I don't know you personally, but I know this is true. For all human beings are like this. You do wrong. You speak wrong. You say things that you shouldn't say. Sometimes you don't say something that you should say. You think and feel 
and desire wrong. See, sin is not just simply things you do or things you fail to do. Sin begins right here in the heart. And even our desires, and, and a desire will arise, covetousness, for example, arises spontaneously from your evil heart, and it's already sinful. You don't even have to agree to it. It's just arisen from the person you are as a sinful human being. So this desire, called in the New Testament epithumia, the evil desires of the evil heart, are sinful in themselves. You're beaten before you begin. It's like you playing tennis against some great master of the tennis. You, 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 wouldn't even, you wouldn't even score in the first set. Your sinful heart is so evil, sorry to let you know this in case you didn't realize it, but your sinful heart is so evil and your evil desires, you might be a nice person outwardly, you might do all sorts of things. You may not speak very nasty or something or other, but you have evil desires which are evil in themselves and therefore you are not naturally holy. But the truth about you is also this, that you are supernaturally holy. As we've seen already, sanctified, 1 Corinthians 2. Saints, 1 Corinthians 2. In Christ, 1 Corinthians 30. So there's that tension. You are not naturally holy, but you are supernaturally holy as a Christian believer. So, what are we to do? Well, we are saints. We have been washed by the blood of Jesus. We are owned by Jesus. He owns us. He is our Lord and Master. We are set apart by Jesus from the world. We are different from those around us. And we are enabled by Jesus to live for him. So, we have the person of God who gives us a vision, namely to be holy as I am holy. We have the word of God which gives us our strategy. And the essence of the strategy, as spoken about in the Word of God, is this. The essence of holiness for you in your daily walk towards greater holiness, the essence of it, are you ready, is in all things, this is in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, the aim of your life, the thing you are to do above all else, is to please Jesus. In other words, it's not as though there's a list of rules. Well, there is a list of rules, of course. It helps us to know what to do. But it, the essence of it is not just keeping a list of rules like climbing an interminable ladder. It is to please a person. In other words, holiness is relational. It arises from your relationship with the one who saved you, the one who loved you, the one who loved you to the end. You know what you owe him. You know what he went through for you. Love has been awakened in your heart for the one who has done this for you. What else would you want to do but please Jesus? If you've been truly saved, what else would you want to do but to please him? How do you know what pleases him? Well, read your Bible, of course. Then you'll find out what pleases him. So the aim of your life, put most simply, the whole aim of sanctification, the whole aim of saints who are now working out their sainthood, is pleasing the Lord Jesus Christ. The person of God 
The vision, be holy as I am holy. The word of God is the strategy. The work of God is the motive. So that our, that our holiness must come from the heart. Just as our sin comes from the heart, so our holiness must come from the heart. It must come from true repentance and true faith. There is no Christian, there is no born-again person, there is no Christian who is not repentant. Uh, we talk about conversion, and we need to be converted, but conversion is not really a biblical term. It's really repentance and faith. Repentance is just short, uh, conversion is just shorthand for repentance and faith. We must turn from sin, turn from ourselves, turn from serving ourselves, and turn to the one whose face we see in the gospel, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we must willingly surrender ourselves to him. And our whole life is a walk of surrender to Jesus, of seeking to please him who has done all this for us. That is the repentance, the deep Fundamental repentance and faith of the Christian person. You don't have to be some wonderful, you know, honourable person to do this. Every Christian can, must and should do this. That is the motive. And the Spirit of God is the power by which we do it. The Holy Spirit, the power by which we do this. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 is, uh, is the passage that I would turn to particularly for this. There are no doubt there are many others. But 2 Corinthians chapter 3 speaks to us about the coming of the Spirit, about how uh, you can read the Bible with a veil over your face. You, you, you don't understand it. But then suddenly the Lord removes the veil by the power of the Spirit and God is speaking to you in the Scriptures. And as you go on through reading the Scriptures with the power of God and God speaking to you in the scriptures. So by the power of the Holy Spirit, you are being, this is the end of 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, we all with unveiled faces are looking in a mirror at the glory of the Lord and are being transformed, transformed into the same image, into the image of Jesus. We seek to please Jesus, to be like Jesus. He's our role model. He's the one we want to be like, not some rotten footballer or something like that. We have something far better than that. We have the Lord Jesus. We, he is our model. He is the one we want to please. He is the one we want to be like. In fact, your future, if you're a Christian, is to be like Jesus. I hope that fills your heart with joy. Who else would you like to be like except Jesus? Isn't that wonderful? So we are being transformed into the same image, Jesus, from glory to glory. That is from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So the Spirit works, empowers the work of holiness within you. The Spirit empowers the work of holiness. Yes, in this life it is, it is a struggle, but we are walking, pleasing Jesus, seeking him, seeking to model our lives on him. And as we do, we are being changed. And isn't this an absolutely wonderful phrase? from one degree of glory to another, until in the end we will share his glory and be clothed with glory as we cast our crowns before him. What a picture. That's your future. Work on it now by the power of the Holy Spirit. The power of the Holy Spirit, of course, comes. Uh, it doesn't mean that we don't do anything. 
It used to be a funny, silly old saying, let go and let God. You know, don't you do anything, God will do it all. Or as one, one book I read once, uh, it's like a, a hand and a glove. Uh, you're the glove and the Spirit of God is the hand and you just have to sort of uh, relax and let God do it all. No, that's garbage. It's 100% God and 100% us. You work on it. And when you have, what do you say? Thank God. I couldn't have done that. Do you follow me? All praise to God for anything that happens that's good. And yet, in his mercy and goodness, he involves you in it. So that the reality of your humanhood is there. Let go and let God? Rubbish. You work for God. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works within you both to work and to do his good pleasure. So, doing the impossible. Doing the impossible. Be the saint you are. That's who you are. Be that. You've put on the, you've put on the, the jersey. Now go onto the field and play. Be the saint you are. From the heart. Which means two things. Ready? No to love of self. That's the old way. That's original sin. That's what dominated your past. No to loving self. And yes, the love of God and love of neighbor. No to self, yes to God. Yes to loving God and loving your neighbor, both. It's not just no to the love of self and sort of beating yourself up. And you know, there have been Christians in the past who thought that the way of sanctification was to get a whip and beat themselves or do things to be... That's, that's called stoicism. That's not Christianity. It's no to self. That sort of thing doesn't help you. <laughs> it's the power of the Spirit of God, the Word of God speaking to your heart, the love of God which comes from knowing that Jesus loved you. You don't get anywhere by beating yourself up or not eating for a hundred days or something like this. It just doesn't help. No. It's from within. It's the power of God's Spirit changing you from one degree of glory to another through the Word, through the gathering of God's people, and through your own determination to please Jesus because he died for you. That's what you've got to do. Know to love of self. And it's not just no. No, no, no. No, you've got to fill your heart with yes. Yes to love. True holiness is love. Love for God. Love for neighbor. Now, let me give you some examples. Now, I need to be careful here because sometimes examples like this can turn into, oh, well, if I do the following things, I'll be okay. But I do think we need to talk very practically about what this looks like. So as long as you understand what I've been saying, as long as you understand the Bible, as long as you understand you are saints and you're working this by the power of the Holy Spirit, envisioned by God, be holy as I am holy, strengthened by the word of God, by the spirit of God, as long as you understand all that, yes, then I'm able to tell you a few things, practical examples of the way you should be living. As long as you understand this is not the way to heaven, it's not you're going to win your way to heaven if you're like this, but it is having achieved, having become the children of God. This is how the children of God live. Ready? 
So, for example, as long as you understand that. So, for example, first, no to love of self. What impact does that have on your speech? Well, no blasphemy. And no obscenity. Let there be no foul speech come out of your mouth. No, uh, none of those jokes that you hear. No gossip. No sitting there over a cup of coffee tearing another person's reputation to shreds, which gives you a wonderful feeling of power. No obscenity, no blasphemy, no gossip. For example, there are other speech things as well. So that's the no, but what's the yes? Well, the yes is speak the truth. Speak the truth, as Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4. Speak the truth in love. Speak the truth with the aim of building other people up. Let your speech be that which builds up other people and strengthens other people and encourages other people. Not flatters them, but encourages them, if you can see flattersome. Flattering people is also a way of exerting your power over them. I mean encouraging them, praying for them. Let your speech be prayer as you pray for people. Let your speech be godly. Have a look at Ephesians 4. There's material in there and 5 about speech. What about work? How does this impact on your work? Well, no. No to treating work as though it's king. It's unfortunately true in our society that some people think that work is everything. Work determines me. I am who I work, what I do for work, and this other It's so stupid. It's stupid. It's really interesting in uh, in circles uh, that I move in. People want to be, you know, they have this ambition to be some professional person or so forth. I've never yet heard anyone with an ambition to be a prison officer. But a prison officer will actually do more good than many GPs do. Excuse me saying so. A good, godly prison officer may well. I never heard anyone say they wanted to be a prison officer. If you're a prison officer and you're here today, I'm glad. You see, we're, the world gets into our heads and we think work is God. How stupid is that? How absolutely stupid. Shady practices at work. No, Christians ought not to engage in shady practices. Fraud. Theft. I'm sorry, we have some of our people who are Sydney Anglican churchgoers who are now in jail because they've stolen money. You're not... <laughs> okay, so that's the no to work. Yes, of course, diligence in work. You are to work not just simply for the boss, you are to work for the real boss, Jesus. And you will be diligent. You will have rest from work. You won't work seven days a week. Now, I'm going to say that again because I have a suspicion that some people in this room might work seven days a week now that we all can work seven days a week. So I'm going to say it to you again. Are you ready? You need to rest at least one day a week. Promise? No, it's okay. No, I'm just joking. Okay. But examine your work habits and ask, is work my boss? Not just the boss. Is work my boss? Is it driving me? 
so that instead of recognising that work is only a means of putting food on the table, that's all it is. It's really our worship of God that matters. Some people get so tired they can't come to church. Well, that is absolutely ridiculous. So that's the no, but what about the yes? Well, diligence, rest, integrity, of course. As Christians, we ought to be known for our integrity at work. And putting the customer first. Ooh. That'd be interesting if the big banks ever thought of that, wouldn't it? Not the shareholder first, but the customer first. I'll leave it for you to think about. Okay, money. No to greed. Making money the motive of your life. Theft. Don't tell me you can't do it. Christians do it. Dishonest. I visited prisons when I was archbishop. That was one of the things I did. And I, every prison I visited, there were Sydney Anglicans in there. Usually on theft. Theft. Dishonesty. Love of money. No. Yes to integrity. Yes to generosity. Faith in God means that you can be generous. Be generous. Don't just give a tenth, will you? Some, some of you can't give a tenth. Some of you can give a lot more than a tenth. Don't let money dominate your life. It can't buy you happiness. Driving. How do you drive? Well, there's a Christian way to drive and there's a non-Christian way to drive. Okay. No to traffic breaches. No to bullying other drivers. Yes to courtesy and respect for others on the road. Family. No to unfaithfulness. In heart or in deed. If you are married, you are married. No to selfishness. No to laziness. No to grudges deep within the heart. Definitely no to any violence. Any man who raises his hand against a woman, I think, is an abomination. No to nagging. Yes, to being, to being the person, particularly if you're a man in a marriage, to being the man who leads by service, sacrificial service. Yes to courtesy. Yes to self-control. And yes to forgiveness. Christian marriages have something that the world cannot give, namely the gift of forgiveness. <laughs> Obviously, you can say a lot more about these things. What about habits? No to reliance on drugs such as alcohol, gambling, pornography. Don't trick yourself, brothers. Don't trick yourself, sisters, into thinking there's nothing much wrong with porn. It'll kill you from inside. If this is your problem at the moment, you go home and get rid of it and promise never to touch it again. It's killing you, and more important than that, it's killing the people with whom you have or will have a relationship. Get rid of it. 
I'm listening to you promising in your heart. No to habits of criticizing all the time. No to habits of uh, grumpiness. No to habits of bullying other people. Look at yourself and say, am I guilty of these things? Stop. Not Christian. Yes, however, it's not just stop. Look at me, I'm a soldier. It's stop because you have something better to fill your heart with, something better to fill your days with, and that is love for others, care for others, encouragement of others, the eyes that will see others. I'm interested how frequently when I'm talking, particularly to non-Christian people, I say, tell me about yourself. People do tell me about themselves. You know, because most people are never asked that question. Nobody cares about the other person. Tell me about yourself. You try it with your, with your non-Christian friends. Show that you love other people and care for them. Give them the meal when they need it. Give them the phone call when they need it. Give them the visit when they need it. Give them the eyes of compassion when they need it. Give them the ear that will listen to them when they need it. And in particular in church, build each other up. The minister is, <laughs> 1 Corinthians is not written just to ministers, it's written to the whole church. And the whole church is responsible for church. Not the bloke who gets paid to run it, I beg your pardon, not to the pastor, but all of us are responsible for the health of our church. And how do you assure that? By speaking the truth in love, building each other up, caring for each other. Will you do it? This is the body of Christ, after all. Well, there are some things. Good habits. Yes, love of God. Good habits. Good relationship with God. Reading your Bible. Coming to church. Serving one another. And above all, seeking to please the Lord in all things. And you know what your future is going to be, don't you? Uh, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10 tells us that uh, our whole aim in life is to please the Lord as it will be in heaven. That's what heaven is. We will be pleasing the Lord Jesus and loving every minute of it. Because that's what you were made for. Such joy will fill your heart. You get a taste of it here, but heaven will be heaven as we seek to please the Lord. Okay, conclusion. There's only one biblical hero who had no faults. <laughs> he was the Lord Jesus, and we crucified him. We're on a journey, you and me, as Christians. We are saints, and now we're going to live as saints. We're on a journey moving from one degree of glory to another until glory is ours, and we will see glory unimaginable, and we will see it in the face of Jesus Christ, our Lord, and we will seek to please him now, and we will seek to please him then. That is magnificent. Now your aim in this life is to learn to please Jesus by listening to his word, believing his word, trusting his word, and following his word. And in that way, you are being transformed, even in this life, from one degree of glory to another. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. 
We pray, heaven, thank you, Heavenly Father, that we don't have to strive to be saints. We are saints already, sanctified through the Lord Jesus Christ, made clean, made one with him. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you. And we pray now that by the power of your Holy Spirit and through the guidance of your word, we may be being transformed from one degree of glory to another and that we may help ourselves, help each other to be so. Fill our hearts with love, we pray. Love for you and love for others. And we pray for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.